welcome to The Power of Rhythm, a podcast with your host, Reinhard Flatischler, founder of Mega Drums, Takatina Symphonic, and a worldwide network of groundbreaking rhythm training. This podcast will offer you an incredible diversity of voices around the one thing that connects us all. Rhythm. So welcome to the sixth episode of my podcast in which we are going to explore the ancient roots of rhythmic expression, mantras. I'm so honored and excited to introduce my guest. She's considered the most famous mantra singer of our time, and she has the love and the power to unite thousands of people in prayers, in chant, and in meditation. She has been featured in films such as Mantra Sound Into Silence, In Search of the Great Song, Beyond the Fear of Singing. Eckhart Tolle and Dalai Lama love her music, and most of the time she's joined by her husband Miten and the flutist Mano Singh. For me, it's a spiritual blessing to have you on my podcast. Welcome, mm. Deva Primal. Mm. For me too, it's a spiritual blessing to be sitting here with you because uh, I just the name Reinhard Flatischler somehow. Um, I, I had your book many, many years ago, 20, 30 years ago already, and somehow there was this kind of halo around the name Reinhard Flattisch. <laughs> I don't know, I just like, wow, and now I got, we got to meet, and then I got to do your uh, weekends in Australia. Yes, and that's friends. Wow, now this is, was so unexpected, so nice, so, so nice to see you. <laughs> <laughs> and so let's go right to the beginning. How did chanting come into your life? Oh, yes. You know what? Um, actually, I thought because I'm with you here, because it's rhythm, I thought actually to start with my journey with rhythm, because in a way that's all intertwined, you know? It's like it's all, it comes out of the same origin which is obviously my my parents and especially my father so i was born actually before i was born my father uh, sang and chanted the gayatri mantra to me uh, during the pregnancy together with my mom how and did he come to do that how would the german father do the gayatri mantra i know i mean he he was a incredibly unique eccentric artist, painter, and uh, made furniture, clay, pottery. He was a, he was creativity, uh, like he was creativity personified, you know, like everything in his place was made by him or altered by him, modified by him, touched by him, thought out by him, invented by him. And he was in very, in some ways, totally German in, a, in, a, in his discipline and in his thoroughness, you know, he would he would chant mantra four hours a day for 10, day, 10 years, you know, every night from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. walking around the city walls of Nuremberg. Or he would learn Sanskrit and then didn't have a Sanskrit di the dictionary from 
Sanskrit to, from German to Sanskrit, so he made his own, you know, or he would learn the, the Gospel of Matthew by heart so that he could then write it in calligraphy and illustrate it. That kind of thorough, real exploration of different paths and, and, and like totally in respect of all these different paths. And mantra in Sanskrit was a huge, huge doorway for him to to silence and to meditation, and so that was the most beautiful thing he could think of for his daughters was to, to give them the Gayatri Mantra right there and then during the pregnancy. And so that's what happened before I was born, and then as I was born, that's what he, he told me, is around that time he discovered drumming for himself. So he hadn't drummed before, he, was, he, was, he dis discovered the Darbuka, you know, Persian drumming. And then he had a drumming teacher, a Persian man who, who taught him, and he would literally drum what I perceived as, as all day long, of course, it wasn't all day long, but it seemed like he was always drumming, always sitting there in his lotus position with his dabuka on his lap and, uh, and then making his own. And um, what's the difference between dum, dumbak and darbuka? Is it the same? Or it comes from the same origin, you know? Yeah. So it's, I heard both names. I don't exactly know the exact difference, but I think they both played. It's the bigger yeah. one, Persian. Darabuka is the smaller one. Yeah. Yeah, maybe then it was more Darabuka, and um, and so I I had that side. This this very uh, quite intense father with a, with with drumming and 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 uh, wild in some ways and totally controlled in other ways. <laughs> And then I had a, a mom who was a, a classical musician, who was a viola da gamba player and who and a piano teacher and a recorder teacher. And, uh, and so, you know, she was very, very uh, classically trained, you know, and they could never meet musically because he couldn't, he couldn't adjust to hers. He, she couldn't improvise, you know, she didn't know how to improvise as many classical players don't dare, even if they could. And, um, and so there was these two influences that were very separate in a way from each other, you know, for, for me. And somehow I kind of grew up with that thing, oh, the drumming gets on my nerves, you know, like I, it's just too much. Uh, it's, I don't know, I just didn't really, he, of course he wanted us to drum and he didn't, it didn't, we didn't really get into it. And I guess I was a bit more my mom, I was more my mom's child, you know, I was more on that side of the equation, you know. And it took me until I was 15 or 16 when I realized and when I started to really appreciate him for, for the amazing character that he was and the gifts that he that he actually had and was not somebody I only needed to be afraid of, which is what I was as a kid. He was such a strong character. When I really learned to appreciate him, I also learned to appreciate the drumming and, and how much I loved drumming with him. So then in my teenage years, I often went, we, we didn't live together from when I was 11 years old. So I would often go to him and we would just drum for, for an hour or two. Or together more. with you? Yeah, together. He, would, he had so many drums and uh, also Miten, my, my beloved, we would go together. He didn't speak English, my father Wolfgang was his name. So um, that was the common language, was the drumming. And then we would just drum. 
and it was very always he was the leader you know like he would be the one stopping it he would be the one giving the rhythm the speed you know like he was what he always had to be in control that was his one of his things in life and but still i just loved i loved it and i actually although i always have had this idea that i don't have much rhythm i realize i have some rhythm and i think that that is the foundation also you know that I, that there was so much around me growing up and um and so that's yeah kind of um karmatic uh, beauty that is that you're born in this environment that this happens to you like in the mother's womb and then growing up in this very intense beauty who's growing up like this <laughs> this is you must have done some great things in your past life I, yeah, but it, at the time of growing up, it was just uh, pretty, um, you know, I just wanted to be like everybody else, you know, I just, <laughs> I wanted to have like a, a leather couch or sheets on the bed or, or I didn't want to eat meat. I grew up vegetarian and they said, you can eat it if you, if, just not from us, but you can eat it, you know, if you go out, but uh, so that I didn't, but I just really wanted to kind of blend in more and at that time, you know. But anyway, I, I do really appreciate it now. And it was it, it's a very colorful, extremely colorful way of growing up, which I really love. And uh, so that's the, the drumming. And then and then I uh, like even now when I drum by myself, that that's the drum. I feel like I can kind of hold rhythm, you know, like I wouldn't really know what to do with a djembe. I don't have the I don't have the uh, technique but somehow you know now the darbuka just feels kind of familiar or you know very uh, the question comes um in this time where you grew up did you continue to chant already gayatri mantra and other things or in the like when you were 10 or 14 or yeah that's a good question i mean i so as as soon as i was born they uh, they started they kept chanting the Gayatri Mantra with me or for me. And then as a child, every night they would come, you know, to my bed and then we would sing the Gayatri Mantra three times before sleeping. Oh. So that was just a normal thing every night. And then I would have my own personal mantra and my sister would have her own personal mantra. Mine was Satchit Ananda, which is truth, consciousness, bliss. So I would say that three times and then I did that. I must have done it for sure until I was about nine or ten. And and then at some point I had my rebellious phase where I wanted to get baptized. And I I, chant, I said the Lord's Prayer afterwards, kind of, um, you know, secretly <laughs> so that they wouldn't. Hear. But they were they were totally fine with it. But I just thought they wouldn't. And um, and then I think around 10 or 11, I, yeah, I know around that time, I found my own spiritual path, which was uh, finding Osho as my spiritual teacher, as my, as my guide, and, and then finding my own way, which didn't include mantras, you know, because mantras was something that my father had kind of put upon me, you know, like I had to do, I had to do, you know, and I didn't even know. I didn't know it was called the Gayatri Mantra. I didn't know that there's millions of people who know this mantra. I thought I was kind of 
alone with it, you know, kind of, you know, my sister knew it and I or something, you know. And, and then I found Osho and he, although he's an Indian man, uh, he didn't have any traditional pathway that he, that he was encouraging us to follow. He was encouraging us to follow our own heart, our own light, whatever that means. It can look, it can have so many different expressions. So obviously his Western disciples, you know, followed more their Western way of, of being devotional and the Indians, you know, did it more Indian way with kirtan and mantra. But when, when the Western people played in the ashram, it was Western, kind of Western music, you know. That's where these um, somehow English mantras come in, like so much magnificence or fly high or, you know, that, that's the kind of thing we sang in the 80s in ashram, you know, with thousands of people, you know. And Jen was then in the ashram. Did you meet him in the ashram? I met him uh, 10 years later. So in 81, I didn't, I didn't meet until about uh, when I was 20 or 17 or something. So, um, so, so I let go of the mantras. I never really even thought back, really. And then um, met Miten and realized I could sing <laughs> a little bit, which was a little bit at the time. And the only reason why I wanted to sing was that I could be with Miten all the time, you know, as a... As a Good motivation, I would say. 19, 20 year old, that was like the only thing that was important is, and I loved the life, you know, I loved the life of community, of, of doing what you love, of celebration, of music, of, you know, like, you know, that was, wow, you know, and then suddenly I realized I have something con to contribute to my 10 songs, I can sing second voice. He, he was the ashram musician who would play every night in the ashram to, you know, would create the music for a few thousand people every night. And, uh, and so he I came into this very solid uh, bed of, 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 of musical possibilities, you know, I could, I could grow in there and be shy in there and t take my time in there. And also very, very important in this ashram, the way it was set up, the musicians were actually behind the, the people who were coming to meditate. Okay. So, um, so the, the musicians were actually playing towards the back of all the, all the people, you know, we were all facing to the front where Osho was sitting and the musicians were yeah. behind yeah. everybody. Mm -hmm. So that was also the feeling that we, we played the music in support of this, of this uh, community, but it wasn't like look at us, we are so great and, you know, we are so amazing and look how we look and, and uh, clap when it's finished or something, you know, it was really just the music is in service. It's a great setting, actually, really. Yeah. And I feel that's what we're still doing now. I feel like we are still in that service to, of the community, you know. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, so it's, it's amazing how it all conspired, it, like one one uh, brick at a time to make this temple, you know, like you don't see where it's going, but it's really so <laughs> incredibly planned. Uh, Deva, can I ask one thing, like in the time where you were there in the ashram, mm -hmm. um, do you recall one 
aha moment, like kind of a satori moment where you say, oh my God. Um, from, actually, it's a string of, of blissful. Actually, I, I, I just, you know, I had so many blissful moments singing in, in, in the, at night with everybody in a dark, in a dark meditation hall, you know, where every, like thousand people are singing, everybody in their own space, dancing, you know, we are not looking at each other, not speaking, just singing, dancing, you know, like this bliss of being there in India and singing your heart out and, and, and feeling safe with everybody, but you don't even need to talk because you're in the same space. Many, many moments. I don't know, I didn't have really like one, you know, of course there's a key moment where Miten realized that my voice was, had potential as he called it, to sing with him. You know, that's oh, a key moment. That's a key moment for sure. <laughs> <laughs> How did this happen? Do you remember? What did you say? I mean, it, it was it was uh, the first time I asked him if he thought there was potential. He said, "Oh, it's in tune, but that's but uh, it's not my style." You know, that's a very English way of saying, you know, no, thank you. Um, and I grew up with playing violin, also piano and violin, so I had a I have a good ear for for in being in tune. You know. So that came across that I could hold a tune and sing in tune and everything. But it was just very, you know, very classical, very, very square, very, you know, I had no experience where the music that Miten was, where Miten was coming from, you know, the, he was coming from folk and, and, and rock and, you know, like he had a whole loose kind of, yeah, he had a very, so, um, so that's that's the first time and then many months later um he was just sitting on the bed playing guitar and then i said and then i just sang along and he was like hmm. i still remember it was in october 1990 and um and he just said wow that's that's really looks it sounds nice the two of us together and um and then he started taking me in under his wing and letting me sing second voice the other musicians in the in the music department they were a bit like oh god now he's bringing his girlfriend in you know typical you know <laughs> so they were not there were some who were really supportive and some of i mean that nobody was mean or anything but uh, you know i had to pay my dues also you know i had to and and i was very 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 shy you know so i would really not open my mouth if i didn't know what i was doing which Miten also appreciated because other people often are singing louder when they are shy, you know. So, uh, so can go either way. <laughs> Luckily, I had that, that was my my strategy, and um, and so then I started singing with him, you know, just second voice here and there, and just being in that space, and can just imagine you're in this hall, and there's two thousand people sitting dressed in white and pin drop silence because we couldn't even go in if we had a cough like you you were you had to be pin drop silent for two hours if you couldn't do that then don't come so so this whole hall is sitting there in complete meditation and you put that first sound into that space you know it's so delicate and it's so it's 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 huge you know what do you put and people are so so receptive there they have their eyes closed they're in meditation 
they they want to be taken deeper they don't want to be pulled out of it or shocked out of it or impressed out of it you know they want to just let that music be part of their silence so it, it was such a huge amazing apprenticeship when i see the footage of your current concerts and so this spirit is definitely a hundred percent there when i see the people singing with tears and with you know that really touches me very deep and mm -hmm. if you allow that i know you know it but you know this is a, a podcast from many people from different sides i want to play you uh <laughs> This does not open your heart. I don't know what will open your heart. It always brings tears to my eyes. Mm. You know, I came across uh, this quote from you. You can sing with a closed heart. Mm. What a beautiful statement. And you know, um, if you see the people today in hatred, in polarization, what a big message. Mm. I'm so grateful for what you do. Yeah, it's the best medicine, isn't it? Because we all can contribute, we can all do it, and we can all participate. We're all saying the truth at the same time. You know, I realize that's the only time when, we, when we're all like speaking the truth, but it's not a truth that has any concepts attached to it, you know? It's, it's pure sound medicine, like the mantras are the vibrations of the actual manifestation. So when we sing the Gayatri mantra, for example, we're singing, we meditate upon this adorable, enchanting source of all things. So that's very universal, you know, we are, 
we're just praising the the source of everything divine spirit and then we invite this pure light of divine consciousness to inspire us and awaken us and energize us so it's a it's a prayer to the sun to the light the divine light and uh, that's what i love so much that there is no concept there is no religion you know of course now it is part of hinduism but this was way before hinduism you know this is uh, these are it's like uh, this is it's saying like vitamin c is uh, <laughs> christianity you know like <laughs> vitamin c was there before <laughs> before or, or saying vitamin c is like the the brand name that we now you know know it under whatever you know um it's it's this um, universal um, beyond answers, beyond questions and answers. It's like drumming, no? It's, it's the same thing. Like we all contribute, we all, it's beyond words, and we all go into this flow together, and, and it brings us in a moment. And as you know from Takitina, probably you remember that we share another thing together. Is it also? Without silence that follows mm. the it's only the half story. So mm. the emptiness and the silence, that's the ultimate goal. Mm. Yeah. So uh, when I found out that you you are uh, chanting with the Kyoto monks, oh, yes. that was completely blowing my mind. How did you come across the Kyoto monks to sing with them? How did this happen? Oh, yes. So, yeah, we spend a lot of time in Australia. We've spent the last 20 years uh, in Australia every month, every year, three, four months. And a friend of ours, Maureen Fallon, she's an Irish uh, woman who lives in Australia. She made it her life's work to always bring the Guto monks to, to Australia, like four or five monks every for a year. And then she would travel around with them that they would hold their pujas and and praying blessings and sand mandalas and everything. And she always she always said, let's do something together. And I could never I could never see it. Like what they have such amazing extreme voices, you know? How would I fit in there? Like what do what I, I don't I don't see it. And then actually it took me until 2009. It was almost like 10 years of already having reconnected to the Gaia Three Mantra, which only happened when I was in, in my later 20s. So from like 10 until 27 or something, I didn't sing mantras, didn't know, didn't have any connection with mantras. So the Gaia Three Mantra came back into my life around, you know, 26 or something. And, and so, but then it took another 10 years to go into the, the, the mantra practice, you know, where you actually chant the mantra 108 times before these, the, before we were just always singing them, you know, like just putting beautiful melodies and, and having that heart opening feeling at the same time as when you chant. But in 2009, I started to explore the actual traditional way, which is to focus on the repetition and have this very simple melodies where you just, repeat and repeat and the beauty of that and the strength of that and uh, and we recorded uh, two albums like that to help and support people in their mantra practice and one day I thought oh my god how would it be if we could do that with real monks you know like where we could actually uh, uh, the, um, tap into the power 
of them having chanted all their lives and giving their whole life to to the expression of chanting mantra with their incredible voice, especially the Guto monks, they're famous, you know, for their voices. And so I went to them and I said, could, could you imagine with me, you know, woman, Western woman, and they were so ready and they were so happy to do it. And that's always my experience. There's no spiritual arrogance in them or, or, or making me feel small or, or whatever, you know, they were just so happy to do it. But they said, look, we actually don't do this so much. We don't just sit down and do 108 Omani Padme homes, really. We do that while we are, you know, sweeping the floor. We do it while we go about our lives. When we sit down, we actually chant the scriptures, you know, we, we have all this, we recite so, but we'll, we'll be happy to do it with you. You know, we are very happy to, to, to record it. So they came up with these seven mantras that uh, they, wanted to, they wanted to share. And they came to the studio and uh, it's four of them. It sounds like many more because they have these big, amazing voices. They had their malas and then they chanted 108 times. And then later I would add my voice and I would get into their rhythm. And um, it was very sweet because, you know, I'm so German, so I felt like it really needed to be 108 each time. But when I counted, none of them were really 108. So it's, uh, it's, it's also scrambling. The other thing is also interesting with the pronunciation, you know, being because they're Tibetan, they pronounce the mantras quite differently to, yes. to Indians. And in my naivety, I, I thought they were actually chanting in Tibetan, you know, like I thought like when they recite their thing, I thought it's Tibetan. But they say, no, no, this is Sanskrit, you know, it's just how we pronounce it. Right. So, um, so that was a good wake up call because often there's this thing of, you know, what's the correct pronunciation and is it still working when you, when you maybe don't pronounce it correctly. So, you know, are the Tibetans more correct or are the Indians more correct? You know, so it just also opens the possibilities of what, you know, what, uh, what can be done. And so, yeah, so we did this. And the most, I think the most um, powerful for me is the one that is with, a, with just one monk, that's with Sonam, and that's the White Tara Mantra. Mm -hmm. So um, that's... That's so special because Sonam had spent two times, three years, three months, and three weeks and three days in, in solitary retreat, dedicated to the white Tara. And he's the one chanting this mantra and letting me chant with him. And uh, he, it was so funny, he couldn't actually chant it slow. He just, he didn't, because he does it so fast and he couldn't, he wouldn't, he couldn't have recognized it. So we had to kind of, have a conductor there with him who kept slowing him down, like, no, no, just slow, slow. And, uh, and I find that so strong and so, I feel so honored that I would be allowed to, to be with him. And, and they liked it because it's a tantric order, the Guto monk. The Guto monks is a lineage of tantric order. So they felt really good with the feminine energy in. in. And then, I don't know if you know David Darling, the cellist, and uh, and Kit Walker, who's an amazing uh, keyboard player, so they created the musical landscape, and they did amazing. I, I think. But did you record it in Malumbimi, or? Yeah, yeah, in Malumbimi. Yeah. Only now, only two years ago, we went to India, and we went to the Guto Monastery, and we met uh, 
I think three of them again, three of the four. And we got to be there at 5 a.m. when they did their pujas with the hundreds of monks in the in the hall and, and hear all those hundreds of monks at the same time. It was amazing. Can you just explain to our listeners the Vaitara? Vaitara, yes, she's the goddess of compassion. And, uh, you know, Om Tare Tutare Ture Swaha is the mantra for the green Tara. So there's the different aspects of that compassionate energy. And the Vaitara is also for long life and healing. And it's Om Tare Tutare Ture Mama Ayupune Putim Kuru Soha. Brought one too, and I chose today compassion because I really oh, think we need it. <laughs> we really need that very much. So here, if this is not rhythm, what is rhythm? That's really rhythm as its very essence, shaking every cell in you as you meditate with it. It's so incredible. And what amazes me from you so much, uh, Deva, is uh, it just takes five minutes and I found something new. Instrumental meditations. <laughs> That's so funny. It's actually, you know, this is uh, this is the the album. So so in 2018 or 19, we released an album called Deva as uh, as a kind of as the title, and it is very 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 dear to my heart because um, it features the seven chakra Gayatri mantra, which is also known as the long form of the Gayatri mantra. And that's the, the, the first mantra I actually 
composed my, the melody for, you know, like Meten is usually the composer. We have also Manoz composing many mantras and uh, another friend, Praful, who composed amazing amount of beautiful mantras. But I never really did it myself and I never gave myself the time or, or even space or even mind space that I could do such a thing, you know. I was like, I'm just not, I'm just not a composer. But, um, but Joby Baker, who is the producer of, of many of our albums, he's an amazing musician. He just, he just said, you just got to do it. You just have to, you know. And I wanted, I wanted to. So, but he really just didn't, didn't let me get away with without doing that. And and the melody came, and uh, and it really, once it was there, it felt like, oh yeah, that's the melody for me, you know, to sing. It was then there was no more question, and I didn't know. But that's how it feels, you know. I thought forever you could feel like, is this really how it should be, you know? Like, couldn't you improve it or, you know? And so so this album I love very, very much. It's also got Anushka Shankar in, uh, on it. Yeah, and that's a huge honor that she would play on it. And she plays on Prabhuji, which is a, it's a song in Hindi that actually Ravi Shankar and, and uh, George Harrison composed for the Chance of India CD in 1997. So to, to, to sing that and to have her play on it, that was beautiful. And then, so we made this album, which then became Grammy nominated, which was another huge total surprise. And then we thought, one day we thought, let's listen to the album without the, the vocals. Let's just listen to the instrumental background, basically. Oh. And it was so nice. I thought, oh, I, I would like an album like that, you know, where you can imagine the mantras because you've maybe heard it with, with me singing it, but it's not there. It's this space. It's really good instrumental music, which I think is hard to find. At least I don't often know where to look for it. And um, instrumental music that's played with real instruments, There's it's it's all, you know, real real strings and real this and that and you know like real drums and and real uh, keyboards as you know not keyboards but um, Hammonds or piano or you know like the actual real things so um, we thought if we like it maybe somebody else would like it too so we thought why not put it out and so it's this I feel it's like a perfume, that album. It's just a beautiful um, you know space in the room it doesn't take much attention but it creates a real nice atmosphere. So that's the Deva instrumental meditations. Always something new. In the time we were staying, it's definitely a very intense time for many people, a very difficult time. Where do you see your personal and your professional life go? Um, I never really think future. And now I've I think future even less than ever. I mean, like I usually only. First of all, I don't, I don't uh, make a distinction between personal and professional life. I don't. I'm not a professional. I don't feel like that. I feel like I'm. We just. I'm just. It's an unfolding. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a kind of a unfolding in process, and we've never had a ever a five-year plan or or anything. We just we just go from one year to the next. And because we don't do trainings like you, we don't have to book even that far in advance. One year in advance is all we need to think of. So 
right now we would think where would we want to be next year when do we do the tours and for 30 years we've been touring 30 years non-stop mm -hmm. so um so now next year we have a full year plan because all the concerts from this year are moved to next year yeah. who knows which ones are going to happen you know it's it's very 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 uh, unlikely that many of them will happen or or maybe who knows could be so I, I feel very, very good in the moment and always, especially now we've been kind of, we landed here in Costa Rica in March, just at the time, 10 days after we landed here, the borders closed and Corona happened in a big way, middle of March, and we decided to stay because where else to be if you can be here, which is like paradise. So we just stayed and then we were like, what can we do from here, how we can contribute from here, especially being in such a beautiful place and being so nourished. So we started this um, daily meditation, which we did for 77 days of, you know, every day we would sit at 2 p.m. And, and do this meditation and live online and face, Facebook and Instagram and really tens of thousands would tune in overnight, usually 5,000 at the time and tens of thousands during the, the next 24 hours. And it was such a beautiful red thread. And, and for many people, they said it really helped them get through that, that intense period. And after 77 days, we changed it to once a week and do the, once, the, the weekly thing. And then out of this, this community started to arise that was so tangible, is so tangible, which we call the Gayatri Sangha, which is this community all over the world that likes to chant, that likes to, that feels the Gayatri as a guiding light, that is, is, has no kind of, no kind of guru or, you know, it's, it's really, in it's a community of compassion, gratitude and forgiveness, you know, that's the, that's the, the, the mood, you know, that's the feeling, that's the guiding light. And that's and, something very important to remember yeah. these times. Like if you look in the media, it sounds like the whole world is just on steroids and crazy and violent. No, it's yeah. tens of thousands of people uniting in this beautiful, peaceful meditation, prayer, chanting process. And I personally thank you so much that you do that. You are a great human being, in my opinion, really. <laughs> so no plans, but we've, we have created this app, um, Gayatri Sangha app, and that just is only a few weeks old now. It's a huge, it was a huge step. And for me, just uh, the feeling alone that I can have my father's own sign on my phone as an icon for the app, you know, because my father would sign his paintings with the Om sign. So I have this, my father's home sign on the face of my iPhone. It's very, very sweet for me. And it's this app where, where you know, it's like a, a platform away from Facebook and Instagram. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's an open, you know, where, where no control can happen, you know. And, uh, and it's really thriving and thousands of people have already joined it. And, we meet there for the weekly meditations and we share and we have all the, you know, lyrics and chords and we have, you know, kitchen, we have recipes, we have, uh, 
meditation room, we have living room. It's a, it's a virtual ashram, you know. And it's so nice, it feels so like really connected, you know, like people actually also can meet each other where they are physically, they can find out that they have other people in the same town or, you know, so it's, it, it's, that's, I think that's the medicine for this, for this time is connection, true connection, you know. I think, um, I know you don't think of the future, sometimes I have to, because I'm not, as you know, I'm not composing for orchestra, well, wow. I still have to see my soul somehow <laughs> put something together. Yes, I know. That sounds so great. <laughs> they were so great talking to you. This was a fantastic time. Thank you, Reinhard. So nice. And uh, so uh, this was this edition of my podcast with Deva Premal. You can find Deva Premal. I mean, everyone knows where you are, but for those people who don't know yet, can you tell how to find you on the on the internet? Yeah, I, I guess you just put in Deva Premal in the in in in, in your search engine, and uh, on we are on Google. I mean, we are on YouTube. We are on. Um, we have a website. We have the app. I think that name will just take you wherever you maybe youtube is a good start you know just see some videos and see if it touches you so uh also if you like my podcast please subscribe to it you can also follow me on instagram and facebook and i hope to see you in the next episode tomorrow which i have the chief conductor of the auckland philharmonia uwe grot thank you reinhardt <laughs>